The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Utilities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. This is episode number two of one of our newest series, Game Changing Utilities of the Future. We're thrilled to be here. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Well, the buzz comes from Thomas Edison. You all know who he is. Interesting quote. The thing I lose patience with the most is the clock. Its hands move too fast. Okay, there's got to be a little bit of a link to utilities in there talking about the clock. Time is moving on. Let's look back in time. At the time when we had professional lamplighters who lit the street, lamp, street lamps in our communities all over the world. Let me do a little deep dive into history here before I bring it up to date. A lamplighter was a person employed to light and maintain street lights. Think power. Think Think lighting, think utilities. Very few of them exist today, as most street lighting has long since been replaced by electric lamps. Generally, lights were lit every evening by the means of a wick on a long pole. At dawn, the lamplighter came back to put out the lights using a small hook on the same pole. Early street lights were generally candles, oil, or some consumable liquid or solid lighting source with wicks. Sometimes they carried a ladder and they replaced the candles, the oil, or the gas. In some communities, they were the town watchmen. Today, it's a very rare job. Why? Well, let me give you a little historical background here. In the 19th century, gas lights became the dominant form of street lighting. Early gas lights still required lamp lighters, but eventually, systems were developed that allowed the light to operate automatically. Let's move a little forward. In the 20th century, most cities with gas lights replaced them with new da 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 da, da electric street lights. Baltimore, the first U.S. city to install gas street lights, removed nearly all of them in 1957, but they still have a gas lamp at North Holiday and East Baltimore Street as a monument to the first gas lamp in America. So let's look at utilities today. Disruption, disruption, disruption. We're not talking going from the wick to the gas lamp to the electricity. We're talking digitization. You've probably been listening to many of our Game Changer shows. We talk about digitization all the time, digital transformation. But let's look at who these, shall we say, modern lamp lights are. They're not walking around with a pole putting the lights on, but utilities have a workforce. And guess, guess what? 
how they are working is changing, and how they are aging is changing. Let's talk about a reality check here. Utilities today have two choices. They can continue on what we'll call the well-worn path until the road may run out or the lamp goes out, or they can be innovative and pave the way for a new future. So if you haven't guessed, our topic today is the utilities workforce and digitization, how we do the work. And this is part one of a two-parter. Very pleased to be welcoming three experts in this field. First up, in a moment, I'll be speaking with James McClellan. He's not only our first panelist, he is the sponsor of this series, and I'm delighted to work with him. James is the Senior Global Director of SAP Utilities and Energy Industry Marketing. Joining him today is a newcomer to Game Changers. Garrett Grooms is a technical functional analyst on the enterprise asset management team at Metropolitan Utilities District. If you haven't heard of them, look them up. They actually have a handle on Twitter, M-U-D-O-M-A-H-A-N-E. That's Metropolitan Utilities District. And rounding out our panel today is another newcomer. He's Nick Malden, M-A-U-L-D-I-N. He's an SAP Solutions Program Manager for OpenText. And we've had another gentleman from OpenText on. I believe they work together. It's Robert Tila, T-H-I-E-L-E, and he's going to be coming on a future episode as well. So delighted to have the three of you. Let's look at our opening quotes. James McClellan is quoting George Bernard Shaw today. You know Shaw insisted on being called Bernard Shaw. He was an Irish playwright, critic, polemicist, whose influence on Western theater, culture, and politics extended from the 1880s to today. He passed away in 1950. In my book, that's not so long ago. He wrote more than six plays including Man and Superman, Pygmalion, you know that is the source of My Fair Lady, and St. Joan. And he won a Nobel Prize in Literature in 1925. Here's the quote James has selected from Bernard Shaw, quote, progress is impossible without change, and those who cannot change their minds cannot change anything. James McClellan, welcome to your show. How are you, James? I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thanks for having us back on again. Glad to have you. Listen, James, did you know all that history about lamplighters and gas lamps and the pole and the, the, the gas lamp commemorating everything at North Hol- Holiday and Baltimore Street in Baltimore? Hmm? I did not. You never cease to amaze me with the research <laughs> that you can pull out. <laughs> what can I tell you? That's my utility is my research. James, love the quote from George Bernard Shaw. Progress is impossible without change. Talk to me. How does this relate to utilities, the workforce, digitization? Why don't you wrap it all up? Well, we're starting to see many new technologies that are coming out into the field, and utilities are, are working with technology today that is usually 100 years old. If we're taking a look at the grids or the pipes that are uh, transporting water through our systems here, that's over 100 years old. It's time to upgrade these grids. It's time to upgrade these delivery mechanisms and take advantage of new technologies. And I like to equate it back to the telephone. You know, we... we had the invention of the mobile phone. But that technology has grown leaps and bounds over the last 10, 20 years. And if you don't change your mind on how you're using that phone, you can still use it just to make phone calls, but you're only using a fraction of that capability of technology. And if most people are only using about 5% of the capabilities of a mobile phone, but it can do so much more and make you so much more efficient in how you do business. And that's the same thing with the utilities, that they're going to start making the move to adopt these new technologies, but if they aren't willing to open their mind on how they can change, think outside of the box, uh, they're going to have a difficult transition. 
James, are we talking about an aging workforce? I mentioned that, and I'm always a little tentative about about mentioning the word aging, but are we talking about infrastructure? Are we talking about the actual people? Are we talking about leadership in the utilities? What's the reference point there for the notes you sent me before the show? Aging workforce, are they understanding that they have to accept the digitization? Give me a little more background. Yeah, to, to give a quick answer to your question, yes, yes, and yes. It's, it's addressing a working or an aging workforce. Uh, they're getting closer and closer to retirement, and these are people who've worked there 20, 25 years. And sometimes it's difficult to, to pick up uh, a new technology or adopt a change of way of what I used to do things. Um, it's, it's a new way of doing business to be more efficient, but it's got to come from the top down. The management has to be bought in. Uh, to make this type of a move to transition their utility into the into the future. Very interesting. I, I just want to reference a conversation I had yesterday on our flagship show, James Coffee Break with Game Changers, speaking with Greg McStravick at SAP and uh, Doug Stephens at the Retail Profit. P-R-O-P-H-E-T, I always have to spell that one. And uh, we had Brian Kilcourse at RSR, that's uh, Retail Systems Research. And we were talking about the fact that Innovation is hard for some leaders in the in that aging workforce, James, because they won't be around to see the fruit of their labors in instigating and implementing those changes for the future. Any thoughts on that before I move on? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, change doesn't happen overnight, uh, and and the other dichotomy on it, it's expensive as well. You know, so utilities are already working on razor thin margins, so. To be able to put these great deal of financial investments in place, it takes time. Uh, but to be able to deliver it out, it may not necessarily be the workforce that you have today that will end up with the final deliverable product. So it, it, it's another generation that's coming through or another completely different set of skill sets to be able to carry this through to, to bring it to fruition and success. Thank you very much. I'm glad that was a good reference for us. Thank you, James. And now let's welcome our second guest, Garrett Grooms. He's an analyst on the Enterprise Asset Management Team at Metropolitan Utilities District. And Garrett will tell us in a minute what his organization does. But he has quoted a very well-known quote typically attributed to Albert Einstein. But it's also attributed to Benjamin Franklin, who lived from 1706 to 1790. Einstein. 1879 to 1955, and to Rita Mae Brown, an American mystery writer who was famous for her first novel, Ruby Fruit Jungle, who was born in 1944. So this is a quote for the ages. Let me read the quote, and then Garrett can relate it to our topic. The quote, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Garrett Grooms, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing good, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on. We're delighted. You can thank James. He invited you, and I'm thrilled to have you here. So before you go into the quote, tell us just briefly, if I met you in an elevator and you said, I, I work with the Metropolitan Utilities District, what would you want me to know about your organization? Okay. Uh, Metropolitan Utilities District is a uh, gas and water utility here in Omaha, Nebraska. We service about a quarter of a million uh, customers here. Uh, we have been providing gas and water to the area since the early 1900s. So we've been through a lot of changes. Uh, actually, the gas lamp that you referenced at the beginning, we have two of them that sit outside of our downtown uh, headquarters. So I'm very really? familiar with those. Very, um, very cool. Go ahead. But yeah, no. So uh, we've gone through a lot of changes, not only with technology, but also a lot of other items. 
Well, very interesting, and you sound like you're very young, so it's probably, what, a gas lamp? Seriously? Okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll take the brunt of that one. Garrett, talk to me. This quote, the definition of insanity, how does that relate to A, utilities, B, disruption, digitization, and C, what James referenced as the aging workforce? Go ahead. Well, it, I'll actually start with the last thing you mentioned there with James and the mm-hmm. aging workforce. Uh, we're in uh, the exact scenario that James described where we have people that have been here for 25, 30, 35 years, and they're used to doing their work process the same way they did it from day one. And with an aging infrastructure, that's just not possible. We have to be better about reporting, better about recording what's in the ground and where it's at. And so that's where doing the same thing over again and expecting to you know, have the detail for these reports or have the information we need for regulatory requirements, just is not possible. It, it's crazy to think that you can pull this data out of thin air. And you can't. Uh, what's, what is your experience? You mentioned you have people who have been there for a long time. How are they reacting to this new world, digital transformation, the realities of utilities? Are they saying, nah, not me, I'll retire? Or are they saying, yeah, bring it on, give me learning, give me training, give me a new employee handbook, show me how it's done? Where do they sit from your purview? Garrett? And actually, it, it's really, it's the same across the board, whether it's a young, younger employee in the district or an older employee, you have the group that is completely against it. They will, they'll fight change tooth and nail, no matter what it is or how it may benefit them or other people in the district. You have the people that are tentative of it because they may not quite fully understand what the process is or the technology behind it. And then you do have your go-getters, the people that are excited for the capabilities and how it enhances their job. And that's where really you need to take that core group, the go-getters, and use that to get the other two groups to kind of come on board. Very interesting. Thank you. I'm so intrigued that you mentioned you have the, the go-getters and you have the what we'll call the resistors or the laggards, my words, and that they're of all ages. Very, very interesting. Yes, yes, yes. As James said, you have a cell phone. You're using the capabilities. You're excited for the next one to come out. Do you resent it? Do you resist it? Do you hate it? Okay. We'll talk a little more with you. Thank you, Garrett, and thanks for the introduction to your organization. And now let's bring on Nicholas Malden. He told me I could call him Nick. He's an SAP Solutions Program Manager for Open Text. And, Nick, I'm going to read the source of your quote. You sent me something from Jeff Mulgan. I had no idea who he is, but he's a wow. Uh, he is was born in 61. He's the chief executive of the National Endowment for Science, Technology, and the Arts, NESTA. He's also a visiting professor at University College in London, the London School of Economics, and the University of Melbourne. He was the CEO of the Young Foundation based in London. He was director of the Prime Minister Strategy Unit. He's the co-founder and director of London-based think tank Demos, D-E-M-O-S, in the 1990s. Chief advisor to Gordon Brown, MP in the early 90s. Uh, But here's two interesting facts you may not know. Nick, about Jeff Mulgan. He worked as a van driver for the labor-supporting collective of musicians and comedians known as the Red Wedge in the 1980s, and he trained as a Buddhist monk in Sri Lanka. That's all I'm going to say. Look him up, everybody. Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Mulgan, M-U-L-G-A-N. Here is the quote Nick has selected. As the Internet of Things advances, the very notion of a clear dividing line between reality and and virtual reality becomes blurred, sometimes in creative ways. That's very profound. Nick Malden, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Doing very well. Thank you for having me here. 
We're delighted. Talk to me. Did you know that he was a van driver for a musician and comedy group and that he's trained as a monk? I knew part of that. I knew the monk training because how else could someone come up with such profound thoughts around the Internet of Things and, and how it's going and how it's shifting and blurring the lines? That's very, very deep and likely something that he gained through through his training as a monk. And I think that's what helps him really kind of be be on be a visionary, especially in you know, in this area of, of Internet of Things and virtual and mixed reality types of scenarios. Very interesting. I've never heard that attribution before, saying training as a monk would lead you to have that kind of vision, and I appreciate that. That's very astute on your part. So tell me something. We haven't yet introduced the idea of reality and virtual reality. We've talked digitalization, but why don't you relate this quote directly to our topic of the aging workforce in utilities and the digital disruption? Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think about the the you know the digital workforce and the younger millennials that are coming in and the, the the technology that they're exposed to so much of their expectations of when they come into the into the workplace around how they can interact and use their phones to get their job done the the lines of where they where they operate in their day-to-day lives in the workplace it has blurred significantly so these these users these people these millennials that come in are really expecting more and more um, from the workplace and the ability to be able to leverage technology as they see it and also expect for the workplace to keep up with the pace in which technology does <coughs> excuse me does actually you know find its place in, in you know in, in their in their everyday lives and the same thing can be said too for customers and consumers as well but we're focusing mainly on our employees here but i think they're all inter- interrelated in terms of how how this drives expectations very, very interesting, yes. And I, I have to also mention that in 2013, Jeff Mulgan wrote a book called The Locust and the Bee. It's already been translated into Chinese, Russian, and Arabic, reflecting our global world, and everybody wants to read good stuff. I think that's a sign of the times. Thank you very much, Nick. A pleasure to have you on. James, I'm going to circle back to you. You know this is the part of the show where we get a little bit up close and personal. I'm going to ask each of you where you're calling from, and no, you don't have to give me the Google, Google Map coordinates to the roof of your house house or your office, but we want to know what city or country you're in and what you're drinking, what's in your cup today, what are you drinking right now, or what would you like us to think is in the cup that makes you energized and smiling to be on the show. James McClellan. Well, today I'm calling from sunny but cool Dallas, Texas, or just outside of Dallas, Texas, and in my cup, what I would like would be a lovely drop of a a cloudy bay Sauvignon Blanc but I'm fighting a little bit of a flu and head cold, so I think it's more mm. cough syrup and NyQuil that, uh, that I'm working on today, cough drops. A NyQuil cocktail. Oh, James, I'm sorry. You sound great, by the way. I, I, couldn't, have told, I couldn't have told if you hadn't told me. So thank you for, for stepping up and being on the show. Hey, it's your series, and we need you, so appreciate it. Garrett Grooms, where are you? I have a feeling we can guess, and what are you drinking that makes you happy? So I'm from sunny Omaha, Nebraska. I don't know what... Uh, James considers cool down in Dallas, but we're in unseasonably warm in the uh, mid-40s here in Omaha. And I am drinking uh, a protein shake here, trying to get back into shape. Tell me what's in the protein shake. Come on, we want to know what powers uh, you. What powers me? So it's uh, we've got chocolate, bananas, um, just kind of a simplistic base, uh, really nothing fancy. We're, we're hoping this year I can get my hand, golf handicap down in single digits and in like any good sport, you know, the hard work starts in the off season. 
I know, I've heard that. And is there any protein powder in that shake? Uh, yes, just a little bit. A brand? You could tell us a brand. What's your favorite? Because I'm interested in adding that to my shake. I didn't know I was drinking a power shake every day. And if you tell me I just have to add a teaspoon of, of protein powder, I will be very happy with that. So <laughs> what do you what do you use? I, I hold no secrets. Uh, I'm just using a you know, generic GNC brand. Uh, nothing's fancy. Okay, thank you very much. We have a GNC a couple blocks away. I'll have to pay them a visit. Thank you very much. I'll tell them Garrett Room sent me. And Nick Molden, where are you and what's in your cup today? Strangely enough, I'm also calling from Dallas, Texas. And like any good Texan, I am having my drink of choice, which is, believe it or not, alkaline water. Um, more, more on that in a second. But I'm drinking it out of a uh, Yeti Rambler, which, as every good Texan knows, is the best way to enjoy a, a cold drink and a hot drink. But what I'm drinking I, yeah, is alkaline water, which I picked up today on my way out from the gym. Uh, my wife affectionately refers to that as battery water. Uh, I wouldn't say that it energizes me, really, but um, supposedly it has some health benefits. I am still haven't decided that yet, so if any of the listeners want to chime in and send me a message on Twitter to discuss that, I'd be happy to hear more about their experience with alkaline water. Very interesting, and I just looked up the Yeti. We, uh, James, you may know Larry Stoley, the car guy at SAP, who is a sponsor of our series. You, you know Larry, sponsor of our series, The Future of Cars with Game Changers, and I believe once in a while he drinks from a Yeti. But I just want to give our listeners a little sample here. Go to yeti.com slash Rambler, like the old Nash Rambler. James must remember that one, at least I do. Rambler series of drinkware is the first line of Yetis you can fit in your hand. We've over-engineered these. We'll talk about over promising these yeti tumblers to be virtually indestructible and keep your drink as cold or hot as science allows and they have a no sweat trademark design very interesting okay i'm not going to go into about cleaning deer on the table but that's part of their message very interesting thank you the three of you guess what they don't allow me to have caffeine on radio show days and this is a double header we had a live show at 10 a.m this morning i'm on the north shore of long island we're seeing a little sunshine not too bad blue skies no clouds yet and we are trying to get rid of the remnants of the snowstorm from about a week ago it's hanging on but guess what we're going to have unseasonably warm 60 degree temperatures here on sunday and we're hoping it'll melt the rest of the snow so there all they let me drink is cool clear water from a cool clear mug and i have a pink straw because i'm hoping the sunshine stays around and it is getting lighter there is hope i was driving somewhere at five yesterday and it was still light woohoo spring is coming so we are talking about, well, James, I'm going to use that old term, spring chickens. We're talking about the aging workforce, opposites, aging workforce in the utilities workforce, digitization. How are utilities doing their work? Who are going to be the innovators, the leaders of this digital change? How do we keep that workforce moving the utilities forward so that they can stay competitive, stay lively, stay strong, and stay in business because we need them? Maybe we'll even talk a little bit about new, new companies introducing their services to the utilities industry and what's coming down the pike there when we get to our predictions later on. We're speaking with James McClellan at SAP. Garrett Grooms at, where is he? Garrett Grooms, I'm looking for your company. I've got it. Here we are, Metropolitan Utilities District. Sorry about that. And Nick Malden at Open Text. We'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Kevin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
The digital world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. The definition of future success is being shaped by many factors, such as more digitally demanding employees, customers, and partners, an increasing variety of digital devices, resource scarcity coupled with data abundance, and extensive business networks and complex supply chains. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Game-Changing Utilities of the Future is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Game Changing Utilities of the Future, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Utilities of the Future. We're back, and we're talking today with James McClelland and Garrett Grooms and Nick Malden, and our topic is utilities workforce and digitization, how we do the work. We're also talking about the aging workforce in utilities and where utilities are headed and how they're going to stay alive, thriving, well, competitive, and healthy in every respect to keep us receiving the utilities deliverables we need. So James McClelland's going to start the roundtable, and James told me in his notes before the show Today's utilities managers are spending significant time coordinating and controlling resources, but tomorrow's utilities managers need to assess data, encourage innovation, and drive decision-making to the edges of the organization. That's a loaded statement. James, why don't you tell us what it means? Well, first of all, I'd never heard of a Yeti until I moved to the U.S. I always thought it was a Sasquatch, but uh, I'm, I'm learning now that I live in Texas what a Yeti actually is. Thank you. We all went through that culture shock when we heard Yeti drink tumblers for the first time. James, what are these managers doing with their time today? Yeah, so most managers at traditional utility shops, and whether it's electricity, gas, water, most managers are spending most of their days uh, analyzing historical reports to be able to report on the assets. When do they need to be scheduled for change? Uh, or in many cases, once it gets broken, that's the first time that a lot of them uh, kick into gear to be able to, to monitor and schedule uh, staffing to go out to do repairs or any type of maintenance. But now as we're starting to get into the digitized phase, that they're collecting all this data coming in from assets, uh, the next level manager is now taking a look at all this data real time and being able to get more into predictive type modes of when uh, people need to go out to maintain assets, when do, uh, when do we schedule change. And as you're getting with mobility, the field workers are able to get more and more of this data pushed out that it's right at their fingertips and they have more information, more collaboration when they're out in the field to be able to take a look at the assets and rather than all of the decisions coming from head office, these field workers now need to be empowered to start making more of those decisions uh, in real time with collaboration while they're out in the field maintaining. This makes things much more operational efficient. Uh, it improves the maintenance. It keeps the cost down. And when you have new technologies such as 3D printing, 
that you can have the parts right there rather than having to schedule back and forth to the warehouse, get them delivered out, missing a proper tool that needs to be uh, utilized during the maintenance uh, uh, procedure. So this really knocks down a lot of the error-type time, uh, a lot of the scheduling-type times, and empowers the field to make more of those informed decisions rather than having to wait on the managers going through historic paper-based reports. Thank you, James. Let's tie that back to our, our topic of the aging workforce. Are these younger managers, are these managers who I think uh, Garrett might have mentioned that there are parts of the workforce in utilities today, some are old, some are not so old, and some are just plain resisting change, are the ones who are assessing the data, driving the innovation. Is there an age group you can uh, ascribe to these, or is it across the board people who embrace digital change? You know, it, Garrett brought up the, the, the proper thing on change. You, you know, you have the people who are, embrace it, you have the people who resist it, and you have the fence setters. And I don't think it necessarily really comes down necessarily to age all the time. You mm-hmm. know, we, it, it's too easy to say an aging workforce puts the hand up, gives the Heisman that I'm not changing, I'm set in my ways. Uh, I, I, I don't believe in that. I think that you have people of those type of characteristics at any age. Uh, yes, the younger ones coming up, uh, they've grown with this type of technology. Uh, versus the others who are older who are learning a new technology and sometimes won't embrace it because of fear or just the lack of not knowing what you don't know. Uh, So not necessarily age, but more of a characteristic. Thank you very much. Garrett Grooms, love to get your POV on this. Please join us. Well, I think James did a great job in describing it. We've actually lived through that kind of process of going from a paper base to a digital here uh, last year when we primarily kicked it off. And it's, while it may seem great on paper and something that might be easy taking a paper form and making it digital, uh, the biggest thing on the managerial level that we found out was they have to communicate. You can't treat departments as individual silos anymore because when it becomes digital, there's so much more information that can be shared. And if you just build that silo and hold it all to yourself, it really, it hampers the utility. It it doesn't provide the full picture of what's going on in the environment and the infrastructure. Thank you very much. Nick Malden, what do you think? Yeah, I, I happen to agree with that. Um, just when, when it comes to the, the processes and, and the types of efficiencies that are enabled, when users, regardless of their age, uh, I agree with James, it, just because they're younger or older doesn't mean they're going to have a more of a propensity to adopt technology. But regardless of how you look at it and what the age is, getting that information and putting that, you know, right at their fingertips so that they are empowered and enabled to to find the right information to look at the piece of asset or the asset that they're working on and understand the entire history around it. Giving them the ability to do that provides so, so you know, so much, uh, so many advantages to, to these, these types of people out in the field. Uh, as well as, you know, has a whole other set of implications around it in terms of being able to operate safely, ensuring reliability for the customer, which is ultimately, you know, um, a big part of what a utility is doing while ensuring the work, uh, the workforce safety. Um, but much of it, you know, is, is tied up into how, you know, how well and how digital these companies, you know, are able to take, the, take their processes and ultimately provide the users or the, or the employees as part, of their, as part of their job the information that they need. 
Thank you, Nick. James, I'm looking at your notes before we move on to a a new topic from Garrett's list. And you contrast utilities managers who are saying what their top five daily tasks are. They're lagging behind managers in other industries. Can you give us those numbers? Well, some of the studies that I've seen uh, claim that about 37% of utility managers identify that uh, uh, analyzing and sharing of information is being one of their top five tasks on a daily basis. Uh, when they ran that same survey for other industries outside of the utilities industry, the industry average was around 45%. So utilities are, are right now lagging a little bit. Uh, as Garrett was able to point out, you can't work it in silos anymore. The, the idea of running the entire ecosystem at the utility, having all departments taking a look at the same data, but only through their lenses, is now where the real power comes from. And back to Nick's point as well, from instituting change, digitization is only the start, and it's going to be continuous. And managers are learning new skill sets. I need to analyze data on a proactive basis. I can't be reactive any longer. I need to be proactive. I need to be predictive. And the instructions that are going out to the field workers is changing as well because it's not just getting direction from corporate headquarters or from my management, but now we're starting to get into artificial intelligence and mm-hmm. being able to take recommendations through machine learning. So that's a, that's a whole new skill set. It's a whole new dichotomy of how is the field worker, does he believe what he sees with the data that's coming out that he's being provided? And, you know, is that processing time much quicker going through artificial intelligence rather than based on human? Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Thank you, James. Garrett, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's do some reference points to your work at Metropolitan Utilities District. You say your organization's been around over 100 years, and while you've seen many changes, none has been more drastic than the change from paper-based maps to digital maps. And then you say changing a paper form to a digital form may seem like a minor task, but it's not. Why don't you give us the background? Let's talk paper versus digital. All right. So uh, as far as paper goes, being around 100 years, we still have original drawings back from the late 1800s of you know, downtown Omaha and the surrounding areas. And that paper is very fragile. It's very sensitive to light, water, all the natural elements. So mm-hmm. for us, making the conversion from digital or from paper to digital is a, it, it's a no-brainer. We have to maintain these documents. We have to do it. Now, when it comes to something simple like a form, you may think the same process applies where you're taking a paper document and just making it digital and it fills out the same. But to make it digital, you then have the opportunity to do more analytics, do more on-the-fly type things and empowering the end user like James talked about earlier where it's kind of a bounce, follow the bouncing ball process. The user has filled out these two fields that means he only has, you know, these options left. So it makes the data better. It makes the end user's job a little more efficient and streamlined. And it also provides, like we talked about earlier, the, the whole picture. You're able to sift out the bad data right when it's collected instead of having to make that a back-end process. And Garrett, can I, can I jump in up for something? Please, because it would be interesting to see what MUD does. Mm-hmm. Garrett started out very, you know, absolutely correct from what I've seen, that People think just taking the paper base and converting it into digital, that's it. 
but the power with digitization, and this is where I'd be interested in your perspective, Garrett, mm-hmm. you can add so much more data from different sources to those same type diagrams than what mm-hmm. you were able to, to have with the traditional paper base. So I'm yep. just interested with your perspective if that's something that MUD has taken a look at or what they're doing. Well, and it goes a lot also to change management is we've been based so much around the physical address of, of, of a hydrant or of a location. And now with the digital forms and doing stuff off an iPad with GPS or any GPS device, it now becomes to where it doesn't matter if it's a wonderful sunny day like it is today or we're in the middle of a winter blizzard and there's three feet of snow on the ground, we can get to that device or that valve more efficiently, quicker, and that gives us a better response. So we're seeing the added value just from something as simple as a, a GPS location. We're also able to tie multiple platforms in together. So now not only does our digital map system have information on that valve or that hydrant, we also can then tie it into our open text environment, which has drawings and actually physical uh, paper that's been converted into digital. We then can also tie that back into our SAP and look at the maintenance records. So instead of having to go to three different systems, it all kind of is one workflow now. I want to get Nick Molden in from OpenText. Nick, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, so when we come, when we come to the point in which you think about these assets, for, for example, a, a hydrant or other sorts of linear assets that may run underground, whether it's gas or water or above-ground electricity and underground electricity as well, there, it really is you know, a need and a, 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 a you know, a necessity as you think about as we move forward to be able to leverage the power of these, you know, supercomputers that we have in our pockets or the iPad types of devices that we use that any of us could in our own day-to-day, you know, life pretty much be able to function and do everything we would need to be need to ever do, you know, order groceries or order food and shop and do everything from a device. And so where, where I see it heading and, and, uh, and looking at other industries as well is bringing not only the information that is kind of a snapshot in time, whether it be the drawings for an asset, but also pulling in actual sensor data. So this way users you know, who may be working on an asset can have an understanding and a representation of what's happened with that device, whether it's monitoring vibrations or monitoring flow of electricity, of water, of gas, you name it. There's just a massive amount of information, and we're at the point you know, in technology and where we're at to be able to take all of that information and push it right into and put it at the fingertips of, of, these, of these users. And, and with utilities, in terms of the types of assets that these people are out and using every day and the, the cost of these, you know, the implications of, of having, having these maintain and, and stay up and running, it's, it really is exciting. It's an exciting time right now um, in terms of the technology and what you know, this, this new Internet of Things is able to bring, bring to bear for, for, for utilities. And, and how they roll that out is going to become easier and easier as technology advances. And then when it comes to the users who are actually consuming and using it, the, you, from whether it's the UI um, design capabilities that you know, continue to evolve and become more and more intuitive, to the actual just insight and, and, and power that, that the solutions provide, there's going to be a lot of, of uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot to be excited about, in, in other words, in terms of where, where this is all headed. And, and that excitement will help bring in the digital generation into the workforce, won't it, Nick? Isn't that a draw? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think, I think it is. Um, when I was, 
I did a presentation a couple of years back, really kind of forecasting what you know where the industry would be, you know where 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 the work what the workplace would look like, and one of the things that I had um, shown was something around augmented and virtual reality, and. I think that's really where things are headed. I'm starting to see it more and more in different industries, like I said. Um, but if you think about it, as these younger, you know, millennials come in, you know, this is something that they've already been, you know, accustomed to and are used to and work. You know, when they when they get off work or at late at night, they are, you know, they are interacting with these types of devices and being able to pull these into their workplace. I think is going to bring some more excitement to these to to these employees and and to this industry as a whole. Very interesting. James, I want to get your thoughts on that. Do you agree that this excitement around digital and and making the tools of the trade, if you will, more consumer-like so that when people go to work, and this is happening in every industry, people want to work and think and deal with technology in a way that's familiar to them based on the consumer aspect. So, James, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think this is going to be a bit of a challenge uh, still because... As, you know, again, we've got part two of this series coming up in, in the middle of March where we're going to take a look and see where, how digitization is affecting the HR or attracting this type of talent to a utility. Um, most university students, they'd run a survey, and there was only 2% of the students who would consider a, a career at a utility. So I think a mm. challenge to the MUDs of the world or many of the large utilities is how am I going to be able to attract and retain that sort of talent to come to my industry. Uh, so, yes, it's changing. Uh, is it changing quick enough? And a change to a utility where they may step back and think, you know, we're now leaders in the role, they're still laggards compared to the Googles and all the high techs and the sexy type, uh, you know, techie type firms that these people are looking to, to work with. Um, you know, I can take a look at my son. He doesn't know life without a mobile phone and the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... That's, that's the baseline. That's the expected. So uh, I still think it's going to be a bit of a challenge because uh, a lot of the millennials that are coming out just don't see a utility as being proactive and being able to allow me to work with the skills that I work with on a daily basis. As Nick is saying, you know, when they get off work, they're still connected. So that's I think right. that's still going to be a challenge, and that will be something we'll go into a deep dive uh, on our next episode. And and that's really a culture thing. Go ahead, Nick. I hear you. Where was that, Garrett? Who's talking? Uh, this is Garrett here, and Go I ahead. completely uh, agree with. I think it was James just talking there. We have, as a public utility, we aren't fast moving. We aren't the Googles of the world. We do have to kind of do things at a methodical, slower pace. And as being part of younger generation, that was very much a culture shock to me. Um, things don't happen fast around here. It's just the mm-hmm. way it's structured. And I think utility has to not go all the way to where it is like the ghouls of the world and we're adapting quickly, but it needs to kind of start picking up steam and getting more to a normal pace of change and at least have a process and methodology on how to adapt change and create these roadmaps. Thank you very much. I'm I'm remembering, James, a couple of years ago, um, goodness, I'm looking back in time here. I think Ford was one of the first companies that allowed people to bring their own device to work. You remember the BYOD movement, James, back in the day? And I think then they had to deal with people bringing the device. What about security? What about firewalls? What about taking the data home with you? James, you remember that was breaking news a few years ago. I, I remember it talking and, on one and of our shows. it's still a challenge today. You know, it's Absolutely. still a challenge today. So, uh, yes, they, they want to have uh, a bring-your-own-device. Uh, because in many cases, the devices that 
the millennials have are head and shoulders above what's being supplied uh, oh, yeah. at, at your utility. Mm. Right? Absolutely, and, uh, yes. And you feel handcuffed if, you know, why can I do this at home but I can't do it at work? This would make me so much more productive at work, but uh-oh, shoot up the flares because it's security, and there's some very, very secure data. Uh, you know, when you take a look that you've got customers and you've got their security numbers, uh, account numbers, uh, even internal type information, uh, there's a big, big concern about security. So, yes, it was a big deal before, and it's still a big deal now. And, and I'm going to add one more wrinkle to this. No, no pun intended for aging workforce, but uh, some companies offer you the technology that you use in your daily life and will give you the Mac or will give you this kind of a mobile phone, but their systems are not at ease on those devices. So you're hampered, James, you know what I'm talking about. You're hampered if you choose what you think is an easier desktop or an easier mobile phone or an easier laptop, but the company systems may not be caught up with that platform. I'm just going to leave that one there. I want to go to Nick Malden. I'm looking at your notes. Let's talk about customer behavior and let's segue that into the conversation. You say IoT is changing the game for utilities. It's estimated that there will be 800 million installed smart devices by 2020. I'm going to guess that'll be up close to a billion at some point, allowing utilities to better understand customer behavior. And you have a case study for us, Nick. Aliander, the large Dutch power distribution company. I don't think you mentioned that yet. Can you share that with us, please? Yeah, absolutely. So what Aliander is doing is if you think about what's provided and available in the, in, in the utility space these days, the, the concept of, of of AMS or smart meters. What, what what utilities can do with this information is a variety of different things. They can use this information to better understand the usage patterns of, of their customers, uh, maybe find opportunities where inefficiencies um, based on a customer's you know size of their home compared to their neighbors. So what this is, allows them to do is really to kind of gain a better understanding and, and kind of, you know, digital footprint of what the customer is doing. It's not so different than what uh, Amazon is able to do with us today based on your purchase history and browsing history and things like that. And it is, you know, as utilities become more and more innovative and are able to pro- provide additional value-added products and other, other sorts of um, commercialized um, assets, this information can, can certainly be used in order to help, help them market. But also, you know, more importantly, how is this information used in terms of, you know, how they, you know, how they design and, and build out their power plants, how they certain cycle through and, and push, you know, and push um, power from one from one zone to another, and, uh, and then in terms of when it comes to being able to go in and, and pr- provide, you know, maintenance on this information, having uh, kind of an understanding or almost a matrix type of point of view for those of you who have seen the matrix. And being able to step in and see exactly what's going on and almost, you know, hit the pause button, it provides so much flexibility for, for utilities in, in terms of how they're able to schedule, you know, schedule certain types of maintenance. I mean, how they're able to, you know, interact with their customers. Just a, a ton of, of, you know, very, very, very valuable information that's coming in from these grid and from the grid, from the measurements that, you know, these 1.5 billion uh, different devices are feeding into into Aliander. So that's they're all and, and according to them, they're only touching the surface in terms of what they hoped and plan to be able to do. Because when you have that information and it's real time, more or less, 
the the you know the opportunities and, and the capabilities of what you can do with that information is is limitless, and that's something that Aleander, being you know being a Dutch company, which for those of you who are familiar with the Dutch, they are typically very uh, innovative and on the cutting edge. Uh, and so it's really exciting seeing what this utility is doing, you know, and how they're choosing to leverage all of that information. Very interesting. James, I'm sure you have a, a point of view on this. And I, by the way, Aliander.com, you can go to A-L-L-I-A-N-D-E-R.com. Aliander is an energy network company. For the past century, we've been committed to helping people live, work, travel, and relax. I've never seen that on a power company's website, Nick. Uh, James, love to have you chime in on this and, and what they're doing with that customer behavior data. Any thoughts on that, James? Uh, yeah, Nick's, Nick's absolutely correct. With Aliander is one of the more progressive utilities that we've seen, uh, you know, within SAP. Uh, but this was going back to the comment that I was I was asking Garrett uh, that just moving paper-based documents over into the digital type uh, area that's that's only step one. Now, when we take a look at what Nick was referring to with being able to collect all this type of data, sensor data. Uh, SCADA-type data and, and be able to put that uh, included with the diagrams, having the full history of an asset, all at your fingertips, running in real time, you know, that's a game-changer. You know, pardon the pun for the shows, but that is a game-changer to the way the utility okay. works. And if we can just save 1% of costs, when you take a look at the expense sheets of a utility and see just what, you know, what the expenses are, you know, usually up in the hundreds of thousands, if not... Uh, into the millions, usually millions, in some cases for very large utilities, billions. If I can save 1% of those costs, that's a huge drop to the bottom line uh, as far as margins go. And and that's what the utilities have to do to survive, uh, to be able to improve the way that they do maintenance and collect this data and turn it into uh, actionable information uh, at the speed uh, of real time. Thank you. Garrett Grooms, love to have you tell us your thoughts on Aliander. Are you familiar with them, and what do you think about I, their use of this? Go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not familiar with Aliander, but I think James brought up a great point as far as using all that data. And it really is not so much an aging workforce, but an aging methodology of, you know, us being a water utility, You, when the water main breaks, you wait for somebody to report the water main breaks, or maybe have some SCADA data that's a little out of out of whack and you then go and you fix the leak. Well, if we can take the real-time data and start being able to predict when mains may break or predict when things may happen, then we can better plan. We don't have to worry about the damages that may be caused from a break like that. And really, that's what, you know, the Internet of Things and technology like that really can provide for a utility is instead of being reactionary, we can be, you know, more predictive and more in front of it. Thank you. Guess what, James, Garrett, and Nick? We are at the point in the show where it's time to peer into the crystal ball. I'm kind of keen on, I think I adopted that word, James, from some of our our European uh, panelists and colleagues. Keen on. I'm keen on the year 2020. Somebody on another show two weeks ago pointed out to me that it's only three New Year's Eves away. So all of you can start planning what you're going to drink on New Year's Eve 2020. It might be another Y2K. I don't know, emotionally. So, James, I'd love for you to look into the crystal ball, what 
what will we be discussing, not next week or, or in three weeks on part two, but what will we be saying about utilities workforce and digitization, that work- workforce? Will the aging part have aged out? Will they retire? Will they go away quietly? 2020, 60 seconds predictions, Mr. James McClelland, go. Yeah, so I, I want to pull back to uh, attracting the, uh, the new millennials. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that you're going to see the utilities picking up that new skill set uh, in, in a rapid fashion. Uh, they will be changing, but they'll still be behind laggards in the market of where technology fully is. But I do expect to see new incumbent, new nimble-type specialized contingent workforce firms that will contract to utilities with these new tech-savvy-type people, the millennials, uh, to be able to in some way replace, complement what the current workforces are at the, at the current utilities. So it'll be a transitional uh, type phase. You'll see the, the aging workforce uh, slowly starting to, to go into retirement. But I think you're going to see these upstart type maintenance companies coming in to do contract work to be able to help support uh, as these new assets come into place. So back to your first comment, um, you know, the challenge of change Management may get it and institute plans, but the people who will actually carry it out or see it come to fruition uh, will be a different team. Wow. Very interesting. Didn't expect you to say that. Garrett Grooms, I can give you one full minute for your predictions. Go ahead, Garrett. Gotcha. I, I like James' prediction. I actually see it going a different way. I think utilities will will have that aging workforce age out and retire and have a shortage of workers and then basically have to embrace technology at a faster rate to try to do more with a less lesser workforce. I think that's probably going, basically their hand's going to be forced, that they have to adopt quicker, they have to do more with less, because there just does not seem to be, as I think either James or Nick indicated earlier, there's not that massive pool that utilities can pull from. There's not that massive pool of millennials that are that interested. So either the utility needs to change and become better in the eyes of millennials, or they need to find better ways to use technology to do more with less. Very, very interesting. Thank you. And we saved exactly one minute for Nick Malden mm-hmm. at OpenText. Nick, go ahead. Predict, please. Great. So my prediction is this. There is likely going to be a shifting out of the older workforce and more tech-savvy people who are going to be in the, especially in the utility space. And James made some good points about a tech-savvy contingent workforce. Well, that may be true. Uh, and and um, it's also true that, they're, that utilities are going to have to do more with less. But just to give you a quick example of what I've, I've done and what I can easily see us being you know, mainstream in 2020 is I, I have one of the Microsoft HoloLens devices that I play with, and it's one of the things that I've wanted to have for a long time just to kind of check to see if it's even feasible and how applicable it could be in the workplace. But just, just yesterday, I quickly went out, found a 3D drawing of a centrifugal pump, uh, one of which any utility may have for their assets as well, just your standard engineering drawing. And I was quickly able to bring that down and cast it into a mixed reality and project it right into the middle of my room and go in and look at it and pull it apart and dig deep into it. So, And if you think about the information that's out there and the ability to quickly put that into a platform such as mixed reality with HoloLens or virtual reality, think of how quickly users can go from not knowing anything about the piece of equipment that they're about to go work on and be at a point in which they can 
prepare what they're going to do, as well as collaborate with someone real time when they're working on it. So the whole concept of tribal knowledge and how it's passed on, really, if, if done properly and information is captured effectively, that can be made accessible and, and presented out to these new millennial workers in, in these new and innovation, innovative formats, allowing them to really be able to provide the type of you know, efficiencies and work that, that they would expect and the challenges and, and, and satisfaction that they expect to get out of the workplace as well. Thank you, Nick. James McClellan, I have to compliment you on assembling a wonderfully articulate and insightful panel. This has been a stellar conversation, IMHO. Nick and Garrett, thank you so much for joining us. James, you'll be back in in three weeks. James, quickly, one sentence. What's coming up on Part 2? Talk fast. Part 2 is going to be how digitization is impacting the work staff. Uh, How will a utility address this challenge of attracting the next set of skill sets? Good. I'll I'll be ready for you. Looking forward very much. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you also to Michael and Kevin at World Talk Radio, our engineer extraordinaires. We've got to go. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Utilities of the Future, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.